Hi there, everyone. This is Brayden and Tally, the voice of my beloved podcast, coming to you from Patterson, Missouri. We are in a winter wonderland here right now. We haven't seen snow here for two years, and this year is making up for all of that. And we're getting excited. Upcoming, we've got Joel Salatin coming, and man, we have tried to spread the word as far as we can. So if you all have people that you know that would want to come out, Joel Salatin's coming March 9th and 10th. I'm super excited about him coming. Um, he's got a blog called The Lunatic Farmer, I think. And I've just been able to browse through some of it. And I'm just like, oh, this guy's cool. I really like him a lot. <laughs> Countercultural. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he's great. He's got a great sense of humor, too, from the emails that we've been sending. So, yeah, we're getting really excited about him coming. And we really want lots of people to come. So you all tell everyone about it. Make sure you get the news out. Um, so after Jill Salton is here, we've got Passover Family Week. And that starts March 28th. And excited about that, too. Got several... Several families signed up already. Yes. And the theme this year is resurrection life. And yeah. uh, just on our hearts, just to really bring forth a message of resurrection, the resurrection of Yeshua mm -hmm. and the power of that, that we have hope, you know, yeah. no matter what happens in the political realm, no matter what, we have a living hope that we can uh, trust in mm -hmm. our God, that he has good plans, that he has a bright future for us, you know, made things are, you know, not looking super good for America right now, right. but, uh, we can have a hope outside of that. And, uh, that's the resurrection of our Messiah and yeah. that in us, you know, the resurrection of Messiah working that resurrection power working in us. And that, so that's what we want to make a theme this year for family week. So, uh, we want to be an encouragement to the body that, uh, that is where we want to be found in that place of life and the abundant life that he, he said, this is what I came that you would have the abundant life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're excited about that. We also have my uh, sister, Angela, and her family, the Spears, are going to be joining us for, for some of that week, and I think we'll be doing a concert. So I'm always excited to be doing music with my sister and, and the family, so it's good. Um, okay, and then after that, we have another uh, event coming up here, which is a marriage weekend, marriage retreat. What, marriage retreat weekend. Something. Yeah. We're going to have some ballroom dancing and candlelight dinners. And we've got a couple cu couples, a couple couples coming to share some advice uh, and just having a sweet weekend. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to this. You know, yeah. I just, I just realized there's a need to encourage marriages. So if you know marriages out there that need encouragement, which most everybody, right? <laughs> but just, right. you know, let people know uh, that we're doing this and just, we want to be a blessing to couples and see couples uh, strengthen their communication. And yeah, so it's going to, yeah, let's tell you, say we're going to have some other uh, couples come out, some older couples that have a lot of experience come mm -hmm. out and share, you know, some of the things they've learned and it's going to be a really rich time, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things I think that, um, we can kind of, uh, with a lot of the, the messianic kind of, uh, culture, we've kind of, I don't know that marriage is really important <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's super important to keep that tended to because I think it's, it's such a, your family, marriage, children. I mean, this is our biggest witness um, in the world. It's the generational and, impact we have as yes, well. Yes. Yeah. And so I just think it's super important to just really invest in having a strong marriage. Um, and it's something that we kind of take a little lightly at times or, I guess think that maybe there's no no answers or something. So, yeah. So looking forward to encourage um, 
to being encouraged and encouraging marriages. So that is our events. And we're going to go into Song of Solomon here. We are in chapter 6, verse 11. I don't know. <laughs> I, um, so I, I'm not sure if I've shared this before, but I've, I went to seven years of, of college, um, before getting married. And, um, I took some poetry classes and stuff within that. And I remember going through these poetry classes cause you like take these poems and you like kind of dissect them and talk about what they could mean and stuff like that. And I was just like, I always felt like it was kind of pointless because I'm sitting there going, okay, the poet wrote the words. They meant one thing. It's not like there's some crazy thing behind it. It was, it was, it seemed very strange to me, but now when you come to Song of Solomon and you're reading it, I feel like I'm in those poetry classes again, except for there's like, it's, it, there's so much depth to it and it actually makes sense to like actually dig deep into it and see like the different angles that you could take it and the different ways you could interpret it. And so we've gotten into a very poetic part of Song of Solomon, I feel like. This is even more so than the other parts. So it's, it gets very interesting here. Yes. So here we are. Uh, <laughs> chapter 6, verse 11. I went down to the garden of nuts. Okay. So here she was in an elevated place, right? She's, uh, the bridegroom has just been uh, praising her, you know, comparing her to all these beautiful places, Tirza, Jerusalem, sun, moon. Uh, she's in this elevated place position, but now she's, I'm going down to the garden of nuts. And this is actually going back to the beginning of chapter six, where the daughters of Jerusalem ask her, where has your beloved gone? And he, and she says, he's gone down to his garden. Mm -hmm. And actually in the English translations, you don't pick this up, at least in the new King James, it doesn't even use the word down, but in the Hebrew, it's very clear. Yerad is the word for down. Mm -hmm. She answers the daughters of Jerusalem says, my beloved, has gone down to his garden. Mm -hmm. One of the things I want to point out, just the amazing thing in the genealogies of the first 10 genealogies of Genesis, uh, just to point out this whole idea of God going down. Uh, we see... First 10 generations, right? Yeah, first 10, did I say genealogies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first 10 generations in the uh, book of Genesis. So basically just going, you know, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. These are the first 10 generations. And if you break down the meaning of each one of their names, it says this, man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. So that's a, it's a real clear, I mean, each one of those Hebrew words has a very definite meaning, and that's basically what it breaks down to me. Right. That, yeah. It's not a whole lot of fooling. Yeah. With there's it. not a lot. Yeah. There's not much yeah. manipulation of those, of those uh, Hebrew words of each of their names. So here we just had this idea of that, you know, God has come down. He's come down to minister to broken people. Mm -hmm. And now we see the bride, she's following, she wants to go be with him where he is. And so she said, now she's going down to the garden of nuts. And so she goes down and uh, she's going to see the verdure of the valley to see whether the vine has budded. And uh, verdure is, is a word that means greenness. And, and she's, she's going to go see God's work flourishing. And so this uh, valley uh, here is uh, Nahal. It's the Hebrew word Nahal. It can also mean stream. 
She's gone down to see this greenness in the, the valley stream. And she wants to see the, the life that's growing, you know, around the stream in the valley. I remember being in Israel during the pruning one year, and it's just such a beautiful time uh, being in Israel during the springtime. Uh, this time of year, the grass is starting to grow. Things are starting to become really green. If you've been there in the fall, most everything is brown and because there hasn't been any rain all summer. But in the springtime, the rains have, have been falling over the winter, and there's just real beauty and I remember being in Dolev in Israel one year, and there's just this beautiful valley with this stream. There was olive trees, and this grass is coming up among the olive trees. Just a real, mm-hmm. I don't know, a, a kind of a euphoric type of feeling, just sitting under those trees and just feeling like, wow. But I, that's what this passage reminded me of. The bride's going down into the valley where the stream is, where there's, there's life. There's life because the Lamb of God, the one who has life-giving water to offer, has gone down there as well. He's come down from his high and exalted place down to the earth and he's offering living water. And wherever that living water is, there's going to be this beautiful grass growing. There's going to be beautiful vegetation. Mm-hmm. And that's what the bride, she's, she's been in this kind of elevated place. And now she's, she wants to go down there where he's at, where he's working to see this greenness that's coming forth. And we think of John 15, you know, the ones that are abiding in the vine. This is the bride. She's abiding in the vine and bearing fruit. And we see that uh, she's going to see whether the vine has budded, right? Mm-hmm. So the vine budding is connected to us being in the vine, right? We're not going to bud. We're not going to bear fruit unless we're connected to that vine. Mm-hmm. And so here she's going to go see if the vine has budded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also, I you know I, I kind of am thinking of like different seasons of life, like where we have those seasons where God's really dealing with us and it's hard to really even understand <laughs> or it's hard to even think about a world outside of like your struggle kind of a thing, <laughs> like what you're going through. And, um, and then there's seasons where you feel really sturdy and you're able to go and, you know, see what's going on and help people and stuff like that and see, I don't know. <laughs> it's just like the different seasons of things. Um, and, and so this seems like she's coming out of a season of like a very personal season and then going into more of a like, okay, looking around her, like what's going on, at, you know, outside of my story here. Um, and then I'm also thinking, um, as it's talking about the vine here, um, you know, in the beginning, she was talking about her own vineyard that she hadn't kept. And... Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking of that. Like she's gone through this whole journey now where she's like been refined. She's learned lessons. And now she comes to this part here in chapter six, where she's going down to look at the vineyard again, like to see whether the vine had budded. So it's kind of like, I'm, I'm almost wondering if it's a way of like kind of assessing the progress kind of a thing. Being attentive to the vine now before she neglected it. Now she's going to, to see it, to check on it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just kind of reminding me of that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, one point too, I, did, I missed with the Garden of Nuts. So she's going down to the Garden of Nuts. And one of the ideas is that too, the nuts represent the need to be broken, to be cracked open in order to be useful. So kind of going down to this area where, you know, you've got hard nuts that have to be cracked in order to yeah. be useful. And, and also uh, the budding vine referring to the promise of a future harvest. Mm-hmm. And so she's going down to minister, you could say, to these budding virtues that are coming forth Mm -hmm. in the body. And uh, sometimes those are the, in real life, that's that sometimes we want to see mature fruit right away, right? Mm -hmm. It's sometimes hard, you know, with children, you Mm -hmm. sometimes see, wow, I sure wish that this was just a, you know, 
the budding process, the growing process can be difficult to see actual growth, actual change, but they're needed. There's need, there's need at those vulnerable, at those early stages, Mm -hmm. you know, for, for older, more mature, uh, disciples to come along and encourage those that are young. And this is what we see the bride doing. She has a heart to come along and encourage these budding virtues that are coming mm-hmm. forth and to be a blessing to them, not to be uh, condescending or critical, but to come along and, you know, be in the fight with them and to say, you know, we're in this together. We want to see you mature and bring forth fruit for the glory of the King. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just, you see, uh, you just feel hope in her voice as she's talking here, you know? Right. And I just, I'm thinking here, sitting here bundled in my little winter wonderland with white all outside. I'm really looking forward to the time when we could, can go out to, <laughs> to the verdure of our pastures right. and see green and budding fruit. I mean, it's just such a uh, time of like, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> right. right. That's the way I feel every spring. It's like, it's like everything's going to be fine. Right. But yeah. And the pomegranates have bloomed. So here, another reference to the blossoms, but then the future, mm-hmm. it's a promise of future fruit. Yeah. And so that's the, uh, the hope. Okay. Going on to verse 12 it says here, before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. This verse is actually considered the most difficult verse in the whole song to interpret, to translate. Uh, the Hebrew is, it's lo yadati nafshi samatni markevot ami nadiv. So a literal translation would be, I knew not my soul, or I did not recognize myself. It made me chariots of my people nadiv. That's the literal translation. So... I mean, as Tally mentioned, poetry, you can go a lot of different directions with it. Um, the idea in general is, is that, this is one of the takes on it, is that she's gone down, she's in the valley working, seeing the the grass, the growth that's happening, you know, even the, she's among immature people, but yet in the midst of that, she's made herself kind of vulnerable in a sense, you know, cause when you go to minister to immature people, you're, there's risk involved, you know, you risk getting hurt yourself or whatever. But before she even realizes it, she's caught up in, in a love and a passion for the people of God. Mm-hmm. This is one of the takes. I, I like that take, yeah. uh, you know, that she's, she's like, wow, I don't even recognize myself anymore. As I'm working with weak people around me, all of a sudden the love of God is gripping me in such a way that I'm like, feel like I'm riding on a chariot, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and you, you read these stories of people. We've been reading this story lately. Uh, Mary Slesser, if you hadn't read her story, it's incredible. Uh, but these people, you kind of, you get this sense. They're, they're minist- they're, their lives are at constant risk. They're reaching out to poor, broken people. And, but you sense that they're like riding in a chariot. Uh-huh. They're like, their souls are soaring. Right. And, and there's like, they almost don't even realize the risks that are involved. Mm-hmm. But like As almost on a daily sick on, with malaria, <laughs> right? So many personal sacrifices to go down. You know, our king, as we already said, he he went down to the valley, and he made great personal sacrifices. So now the bride is following in his footsteps. I'm going to go down to the garden mm-hmm. to to see the the work of God. Mm-hmm. And before she even realizes it, she's like, I don't even recognize myself anymore. I'm caught up with a zeal for God's purposes. Mm-hmm. I'm caught up with this love for broken people. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't naturally have a love for broken and imperfect people. Right. But yet she is saying, wow, I, 
I'm, I'm all of a sudden transformed in a way. I, my soul is transformed, mm-hmm. and I actually am feeling divine love. And so the chariot, just to break down that a little bit, the chariot is in that day was the considered the most effective means of travel. You know, if you've ridden on a horse before, that can kind of wear you out. Right. Uh, you know, you, you, long journey, riding a horse constantly. But a chariot was kind of like the, I don't know, the uh, Mercedes Benz of uh, <laughs> the, the, the period. You know, just like the smooth, uh, easy ride. And so when she says, my soul made me as a chariot of my noble people, she's saying, my soul is, is, is um, rejoicing, it's exultant. I am speeding forth with, um, with a lightness of soul, with a, a, a joy really in my soul yeah. that is really carrying me along in this process. And it's, it's a supernatural thing in a way. Before mm-hmm. I was even aware, my soul had made me as a chariot of my noble people. Mm-hmm. And uh, this word Nadiv is actually the Hebrew word for uh, kindness or as of my noble, or it could also be my kind people, my, my generous people. And so hmm. she's, she's riding in this chariot of just feeling generosity, yeah. of feeling uh, a royalty, even though she's broken and, you know, she's in the midst of this brokenness. You could say, I mean, this is an interpretation, interpretive view of the, of right. the, of the, of the, of the reading here, even though she's in the midst of all this brokenness around her, yet her soul is, is on fire mm-hmm. and she's, she's rejoicing in God in the midst of it. Yeah, and I'm also, you know, I'm thinking about the chariots. It made me the chariots of my people, like that. Um, that she is almost taking on. I don't know. It's like, uh, like she's carrying the people. Like you know what I mean. Like mm. the weight of helping them advance. You know, like helping them t- them to walk in the same victory that she wa- has walked in now. Right. You know, like that because the the chariot usually holds people you know right and so they do a lot of the work you know the chariot does a lot of the work in transporting the person so it's it made me almost like uh without even knowing it like and i I just think of the the scripture um his yoke is easy and his burden is light and i know there's some people that can look at all the brokenness in the world and be like it's just too much you know what can i do but um but she's saying oh i didn't even notice i was doing it all of a sudden I'm this chariot (laughs) with a whole bunch of people on me and we're just speeding down the highway, you know, like I'm carrying these people down. Uh, I didn't even know what was happening. You know, like, like you would think you're a chariot. There's people riding you, you know, wouldn't that be stressful? But like, you know, just the whole, when you're in the hands of the father, that's how he uses you. You know, he's like, makes you like, yeah, you're going to bring these people to glory, you know, (laughs) you're going to help be a part of that, you know, and it's not even going to feel like a lot. It's like, what happened? How did I do that? Right. (laughs) All right. Next, uh, verse 13, return, return. O Shulamite return, return. Very rare in the Bible that you see four words repeated in the same verse. And, but here we have it. Uh, return is repeated four times and just uh, shuvu or shu, shuvi shuvi is the Hebrew word here. It's, right. the, it's in the feminine. Shuvi shuvi hashulamit. A uh, beautiful song in Israel that uh, has those words in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, shuvi shuvi hashulamit. Uh, this is the first instance that we have that the bride is. Uh, we know where she's from. She's a, she's from sh, uh, Shulam or she's a Shulamite, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the daughters are saying they wanted to come back, you know, because earlier the daughters are, are asking her, you know, where the beloved is. She's gone down. Now she's gone down to be with the beloved. And now the daughters uh, want her to come back, come back, return, return to us. We don't want you to go down. We don't want you to be away from where we are because uh, she left them basically to go down into the gardens with, mm-hmm. the, with the bridegroom. 
And uh, this is a picture of, you know, sometimes in our own lives, you know, we, we were called to go on to do something else, you know, to, to move to a different area uh, geographically or, you know, a different ministry or something. And sometimes it can be difficult. You know, the people that were, they're like, oh, come, you know, we want, we want to be with you. And, uh, and that's, I think that's, it's, that's a beautiful thing. We see uh, Acts 20 verse 37. This is when Paul is being wept over when he's leaving. So they, then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more. So, but Paul, he knew that he had to go somewhere. He had to go to another place in the body, but yet there's this human mm. emotion. They, they were going to miss him. And uh, I think that's a beautiful thing. Yep. You know, when there's a, a true longing and a missing and a, a affection between members of the body of Messiah, that's mm-hmm. a, it's a very, very sweet thing. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I, I was just remembering what someone was saying um, recently that, you know, we should have that heart towards all brothers and sisters in Messiah, that kind of like when you see them, like it makes you happy. Right. Like when you see a brother or sister in Messiah, you should be like, oh, I missed you. <laughs> you know, like that, that kind of a, uh, may we all have that, um, you know, the grace to, to have that towards, towards any brother and sister in our lives. <laughs> yes. So they're saying, return, return, O Shulamite, that we may look upon you. Uh, so they want to see her. And it, it, Paul, he talks about this, 1 Corinthians 11, 11, uh, 11, 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And so here we see this example of she's, she's this example. She's almost this picture of the bridegroom to the daughters of Jerusalem. And they want to look upon her just like I believe Paul would have been a picture of the glory of Yeshua. There was, there was something that came forth from his life that showed the people around him uh, the life of Messiah at work. And, and he's saying that, imitate me just as I also imitate Messiah. And uh, we find that sometimes. I remember it being a young person and seeing something special in a mature believer that was like, wow, that, that, there's something really special about that person. Mm-hmm. They have a connection to Yeshua. Mm-hmm. And it made, I wanted, I desired it, you know, and it, and it, it woke within me this desire for more of Yeshua. Mm-hmm. And, and God uses humans, you know, reflecting him to awaken the world around us and to even to awaken the young, you know, within the body mm-hmm. to long for more of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking with the um, discipleship uh, group this morning, just about the importance of not um, <laughs> looking to man to like kind of be the, you know, I'm going to be just like this person or something like that. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of a weighty thing that we should take on. Like you look at someone who's really struggling because someone they're looking up to has failed them or has offended them or whatever it is. Um, and you would tell that person, you know, don't look towards them. You know, like they're not perfect. Look to Yeshua. Um, but at the same time that happens like the end, it's kind of a weighty thing. Like we are the representation of Yeshua in this world. And so it's something we should take very seriously. You know, I think it's part of the commandment too, that don't take my name in vain. Like my name is on you. If you're one of my sons and daughters, you know, my name is on you. So take it seriously. And so, um, so I think it's, it is, uh, important to have both, both sides of that, you know, that, that we take it seriously, that we carry, um, you know, we're going to be, uh, sharing a piece of, of, of God, wherever we go, you know, we want to carry his, his light wherever we go. So Mm -hmm. want to take it seriously. Yeah. We want it to be lovely and people to want it. Yes. (laughs) 
So what would you see in the Shulamite as it were the dance of two camps? Uh, she's from Shulam. Uh, what would you see in the Shulamite? Uh, this is the first instance, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, she's from uh, Shulam. And this is uh, significant because she shares the name of the bridegroom, the Shlomo, you know, King Solomon mm -hmm. is the bridegroom in this picture. And so it just speaks of their oneness, you know, mm -hmm. that she is, she almost, she shares the exact same root letters as the bridegroom. <laughs> There's a, they're, they're one, you know, she's yeah. from Shulam, which means peace. His name is Shlomo, which means peace. Uh, they come together and they're at peace with one another. Mm -hmm. And this is a powerful picture of oneness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as it were, the dance of two camps. Uh, this brings us back to the story of Jacob. He's coming to meet Esau, mm -hmm. and they're in this place called Mahanaim. So Mahane is the Hebrew word for camp. And then Mahanaim, anytime you have Aim at the end of a Hebrew word, it means two. So this means two camps. Mm -hmm. And so this verse here, so Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. So it appears that Jacob sees these angels and then he has uh, this revelation that he needs to split his own camp in two different camps, right? He mm -hmm. separates the children of Leah with Leah and he has Rachel's camp over with Rachel's camp with Rachel's, Rachel's children. And uh, overall, this is a place of conflict. Uh, this place, Machanaim, is a place of conflict, angelic visitation, and then ultimately reconciliation with, mm -hmm. uh, with Esau. With Esau yeah. So when, it, when the bride is compared to the dance of two camps, uh, there's a lot of different ways you can go with this, uh, but one of the ways I, I feel like is is a good way is to say, basically, Jacob and Esau represent two camps of of people. They represent two camps of spiritual warfare. Uh, one, uh, Jacob and Esau. So you got Esau represents the flesh, right? Mm -hmm. We see over and over again that Esau is craving. He's yielding to his fleshly lust. He's, you know, he's going to sell his birthright for a pot of stew. Mm -hmm. He's going after the women. Uh, he just doesn't have much control over his flesh. Mm -hmm. uh, Jacob, on the other hand, is, seems to be more led of the spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, which go, follows in line with the patriarchs because Abraham represents, a lot of his life represents the fatherhood of God. You know, he's the father of many nations. You look at the life of Isaac, very, he, of all the three patriarchs, Isaac is the strongest messianic picture of, you know, the sacrifice of Isaac correlating to the sacrifice of Yeshua and so many pictures there mm -hmm. that are significant. So then Jacob and Esau, you know, look at the scripture in Genesis 25, 21. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his plea and Rebecca, his wife conceived, but the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. So here, Rebecca, she's going through this. Oh man, there's what's going on inside of me. There's a struggle. And this is a picture of believers. You know, there's a struggle going on within inside of us between the flesh and the spirit. Mm -hmm. Galatians 5:17 says for the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. And so this battle's going on within. So, uh, this seems to be what the bride has gone through, you know, saying she's, it's like this dance of the two camps. There's this battle going on and she is overcoming though. Uh -huh. The spirit is overcoming. There's a story of this guy. He was a dog fighter. He had uh, he had dogs he raised to fight and he would do some betting and, but he was really good at what he did. He made a lot of money betting because the dog that he picked would always win. He said, and the people asked him, so what, 
how is it that your dog always wins? He said, well, the one that wins is the one I feed the most. And so just correlating that to basically whatever one we feed the most in our lives, that's the one that's probably going to win. If we feed our flesh, if we feed the the lust of the flesh, then that's that's the one that's going to win right. the battle. If we feed the spirit, you know, feed the spirit, our spirit man, if we, if we feed our souls with the word of God, spending time in prayer, then that's the one that's going to win most likely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so may we be strengthened uh, to fight the good fight, to be found uh, faithful, and to feed the spirit in our yeah. lives. Yeah, and when I think of the dancing too, it's uh, there's a gracefulness to it that I think yeah. that he gives us to, to, to do that as well. So, all right, this is Brayden and Tally reminding you to listen to the voice of your beloved bridegroom. He's coming quickly. Yeshua, my